Hey guys, it's Ryan. Thanks for tuning into Theology-ish. Before we jump in, I just want to emphasize that the discussions on this podcast are exploratory in nature and delve into a variety of theological perspectives. They do not strictly represent or define our personal stances on the faith nor the doctrine of our affiliated churches. We encourage listeners to reflect, question, and seek guidance from their local church leaders. Our goal is to foster understanding and curiosity. We ask that you listen with a humble and discerning mind. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Theology-ish. I am one of your hosts, William Berry. With me, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Kelly. What's going on? Oh, same old, same old, man. Just uh, casting some casting some pod. Yeah. yeah. Any, any fun life updates? Haven't done that in a couple episodes. Anything new in the last several weeks since I we recorded? never do anything. I just... Oh, no sit at home and read, and then I go to work, and then I come home, and then I sit at home and read some more. That's, you play Minecraft sometimes. I haven't played Minecraft in a hot minute. No? No, I've been too busy reading. <laughs> so. Dang. Yeah. Ma'am. Yeah, how about you? What a life. <laughs> anything uh, Anything interesting? Oh, gosh. What is new with me? Um. Oh, I thought of something new. Oh. My parents... Got me a table saw for Christmas, so I, I have a table saw now, and I played with it last weekend and annoyed all my neighbors with saw noises, so I'm looking forward to continuing to annoy my neighbors with the sound of my power tools. Nice. So that's exciting. That is exciting. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> pumped about it. Yeah. Yeah. Power anyway, tools. Uh, stuff... Uh, for you, that's new. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, nothing really. I don't think. Oh, all right then. Yeah, uh, my life is also quite boring. I go to work and I come home, and I play video games sometimes, and other times I read, and I go to church and do stuff at church, and that's pretty much my life. So, what are we uh, talking about today? I'm excited about this one, William. I'm yeah, really excited about this one. What's got you excited about this one? We're covering one of my favorite books. Today, we are going to be discussing the wonderful and sweet but short writing of Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. For those of you who listened to the Dietrich Bonhoeffer episode, you know why I like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Because he's you, super cool. If you don't know, go back and listen to the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer episode, and you will learn about Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life and why he's a cool guy. Yeah, so in preparation for this episode, I read through it again. Um, so that was my that was my second time reading through this book. Um, my copy of it, uh, these are technically translations because Bonhoeffer was German, so he wrote in German. Well, you didn't learn German just to read this in the original language? No. No. Weak. Uh, but my translation, this copy of it, is like 110 pages, not including the author's introduction. So it's it's very short. It's You could knock this out in like a day or two if you really tried. You, however, William, just read this for the first time in preparation for this episode. It's true. 
I had so, not read it previously. Okay, so before anything, I, I want to gauge your opinion here. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being life-altering, one of the greatest works ever, written, produced by a Christian author, and 1 being absolute heretical garbage no one should read, where would you where would you rank this? Uh you set 10 as like a really, really high bar. Uh, so let's let's I, put I, it up like 10 is like, is something like, I don't know, um, the epistle of Polycarp or Clement of Rome, the church fathers, mm. some of the early writings. Uh, I would say that this is probably about a six or a seven. Okay. It's good. That's fair. It's very good. Um, I am a fan of Bonhoeffer as a fellow and also appreciate the work that he did. Uh, I think the cost of discipleship is a very nice little exegesis on the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the cost of discipleship is better, in my opinion, than life together, if we're going to say that one thing is better than the other. But yeah, he's insightful, um, he's well-spoken, and it's a very tight little book. He says a lot with very little. He uh, does. And I think I'd have to agree. It's a challenging little book, you know? Yeah. It makes you think about the way that you do life together with other Christians. But Polycarp is Polycarp. Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah, and I, I'd have to agree. I, I also think that The Cost of Discipleship as a book is better than this overall, uh, in my opinion, of course. I think it's a better read. Uh, it's It's larger. It's longer. He has more opportunity to say what he wants to say. And he does so very well. Read The Cost of Discipleship, but also read Life Together because it's also fantastic. I'm going to make a statement you're going to disagree with now, William. Okay. You know how in the episode about patristic literature, you pointed out that literature as, as a medium does not make it 2,000 years into the future unless it is good. Generally. Generally speaking. And always. And if you're reading something and the conclusion you come to is this probably won't be relevant 2,000 years from now, maybe read something else. Again, you're probably going to disagree with this. I hold the opinion that Dietrich Bonhoeffer's works are good enough that 2,000 years from now, they will still be relevant to the Christian church, that they will still be widely read and accessible as long as, you know, the Lord's second coming hasn't happened by then. Are, are you familiar with uh, something called, I think it's the Lindy effect? No. It, it's the idea that if you want to know how much longer a thing will last, see how long it's already lasted. Yeah. So if you have a can of Coke that was made, you know, three months ago at the Coke factory, and then it gets to you, and then you drink it, that can might last another three months. Yeah. If you have a vase from ancient China that's been safeguarded and protected for 4,000 years, yeah. people will continue to safeguard and protect it for 4,000 more years. Mm. So I don't doubt that Bonhoeffer will probably be around 100 years from now. People will still be reading him. Um, Origin of Alexandria is going to be around in the year 4,000. I don't know if Bonhoeffer will make it that long. Mm. We'll see. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. He's good. Um, and yeah. generally, when when I said that, I kind of had in mind more like, um, if you're going to read 
literature, you're probably better off reading Frankenstein or yeah. the Iliad or Dracula or something by H.G. Wells than you are reading Twilight. Yeah, you're and better off reading one than the other. And I'm, yeah. I'm obviously kind of grasping at straws here anyway. Um, I'm, I'm more so just saying that because I really like Bonhoeffer. And I would hope that he's around 2,000 years from now because I believe the things he wrote to be beneficial for the Christian faith. Yeah, he's good. And I don't know. When you think about prominent Christian authors uh, from his time specifically, uh, really you get two big names that pop up, being Dietrich Bonhoeffer and C.S. Lewis. And I don't think anyone would be particularly surprised if C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity was still being read 2,000 years from now. I think that, well, it doesn't matter what I think. Yes, no. Bonhoeffer and Lewis are both great. You should read yeah. them if you have not. I'm grasping at straws. No, no not really. Uh, I, I don't feel quite as strongly about Bonhoeffer as you do. Yeah. Um, I like him, though. He's good. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's yeah, good. I don't know. For I, I, I really can't explain it, but for whatever reason, something about Bonhoeffer's writing has, like, really really clicked with me. I'm not sure if it's just his, his writing style or if it's because of the things he has to say, particularly, I don't know if those just happen to resonate with me on a, some kind of weird spiritual deep level, but something about Bonhoeffer really just does it for me. I have almost nothing but positive things about Dietrich Bonhoeffer to say about Dietrich Bonhoeffer's writings, at least the ones that I've read. Yeah. C.S. Lewis, was probably smarter than Bonhoeffer. Ooh, um, interesting. Uh, like, if you read the screw tape letters... Which I haven't. But if you read them, you realize that C.S. Lewis understood how humans are. Like, yeah. bedrock. He understood human behavior in a way that uh, I don't think Bonhoeffer did. Now, with a depth that I don't think Bonhoeffer yeah, do, did, but Bonhoeffer was uh, still great. Debatably a genius. I mean, do keep in mind, for those of you who remember the Bonhoeffer episode, he had his doctorate by the age 22. I didn't say uh, that he's not a genius. Mm. I just think C.S. Lewis might be more genius-y. Mm. Um, That's a discussion for or, another day. Uh, perhaps... It, I want to be fair to Bonhoeffer because he was definitely smarter than me. Um, perhaps Lewis is able to say things more clearly because he's writing in English. And part of what Lewis's genius is, is his complete mastery of the English language. Mm. He can say anything he wants to say and he can say it perfectly. Yeah. And Bonhoeffer cannot say anything he wants to say perfectly in English because he was writing in German. Mm. So... Perhaps if I learned German and read his German, I would be like, oh my gosh, this guy understands the German language perfectly and can say anything perfectly. Yeah. That might be the case. I don't know. I, I think probably what we're going to do here for this episode is really just kind of pick out particular quotes and paragraphs and stuff that we wanted to discuss and then discuss them, basically. Uh, and then at the very end, we will just have a couple of announcements, and we'll get to that at the end, and you'll see why. So let's jump into it. Um, if it's all right with you, I just want to go ahead and read the very opening paragraph to this book so people get an By idea of, of where we're headed. <clears throat> and this is uh, chapter one, which is titled Community. 
Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133, verse 1. In the following, we shall consider a number of directions and precepts that the scriptures provide us for our life together under the word. It is not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. At the end, all of his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause, he had come, to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian, too, belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. There is his commission, his work. The kingdom is not to be in the midst of your enemies, and he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people. O you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ, if Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? That last bit was a quote from Martin Luther. So that's that's the opening bit here to life together. So I think that probably gives you a pretty good idea of where he wants to head with this book, which as the title might imply is community and life together as Christians and how that ought to look and why we should do it. Um, any any opening thoughts there just with that opening paragraph or should we just move on? So I, I am going to make everyone mad at me by offering a slight critique to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is smarter than me. <laughs> okay. And probably holier than me, too. Mm. That bit about how the life of the Christian is not to be one cloistered in seclusion amongst other believers. Yes. He's pulling from the long Lutheran tradition of uh, taking jabs at monasteries. Yes. And complaining about monasteries and monks and how they conduct themselves. And a lot of the problems that Bonhoeffer goes on to identify in the church throughout this little book are problems that are not a problem if you have monasteries. So he opens by critiquing monasteries, and later he will talk about how the church does not pray the Psalms sufficiently. Yes. In a Benedictine monastery, they pray through all 150 Psalms once a week. Mm. The church includes monasteries. So if your conception of the Christian family includes monasteries, then the church is praying the Psalms, all 150 of them, every week. If there are monasteries around. Yeah. And if there are not monasteries around, there. so, you know, the Christian is an individual, but it's also part of a greater system that we're all in. So if we have some people praying all the psalms all the time, that's better for the individual who's not praying the psalms than yeah. to not have those people doing that, right? Because yeah. we are all one part of one big glob. And it, it's a legitimate problem that Bonhoeffer points out with the lack of psalms. Yes. And the lack of praying them and the lack of treating them He well. has an entire chapter dedicated yes. to that. But I'm just pointing out, if we had monasteries which Bonhoeffer would be against because he's Lutheran, you would have people already taking care of the Psalm things, which doesn't exonerate us as individuals yes. from engaging with the Psalms, but uh, 
Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, that's that's fair but enough. He's making this critique of monasteries and quoting Luther's critique of monasteries while dealing with the upshot of Luther's critiques 400 years later, where because there aren't monasteries in Germany anymore, now we don't play, pray the Psalms. Yeah. So uh, that that's just something that I noticed. And uh, fair enough. That's that's reasonable. Um, and I, you know, I I tried to approach this um, to let it uh, speak to me and to see where correction might be offered. And I tried to learn from Bonhoeffer. I did. Yes. Uh, but that was something that I noticed. Yeah. That and I'll offer a a bit of a critique as well. Um, and this is more a jab at the Lutherans as a whole than it is just Bonhoeffer. Um. You know, I feel like Bonhoeffer doesn't make it super obvious through this writing that he is Lutheran, were it not for the fact that he quoted Luther about every other paragraph. And it's not that much. You get my you get my point. Yeah, I, he quotes Luther in every chapter. There's a quote to Luther and there are like four chapters. At least a few times. Yeah, he, and I don't want to say that the Lutherans are bad and I don't like Lutherans, but... Personally, I am not a Lutheran. I will never be a Lutheran. And I should probably not say everything I'd like to say about Martin Luther. Uh, (laughs) At the very least, until I've had the opportunity to do some proper research and prayer on the matter. But I think that he's the... uh the seedbed for modern progressivism. Yeah, but regardless, he does quote Luther... A good bit in this book and personally i'm just not the biggest fan of that so oh well i'm willing to look past that yeah and so you know i i have uh the opening part made me bristle a lot because i have a lot of appreciation for monasteries and monks yeah a, a lot of important stuff for christianity and for society as a whole has come from monasteries um so that opening part where he kind of dunks on him i was like ugh, ugh, I, it made me prickly the rest of the time because <laughs> i was like ah i don't like that he's coming at my boys i yeah. like the monks that's a nice watch you got on there ryan oh thank you, you know who invented watches monks yeah really yeah the mechanical watch was invented by a monk around the year like four or five hundred because I'm a bit of a watch enthusiast and i didn't even know they that. <laughs> have uh the liturgy of the hours right you are supposed to say these prayers every hour on the hour mm. how do you do that unless you're taking very meticulous care to tell when the hour has passed you would the mechanical the wristwatch. watch yeah well not the wristwatch well, but yeah, mechanical a, watches yeah. okay um, well let's let's move along here we yes. have a lot to get through we I particularly made way too many notes yeah. for this episode, have, so uh, let's let's get into it. Okay, which part do you want to get into? Um, I've got a paragraph just very shortly after that I wanted to uh, look at. What page? 18. 18? On that same page that we just left off on. All right, give it to me. All right. So between the death of Christ and the last day, It is only by a gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship with other Christians. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, 
the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. They remember, as the psalmist did, how they went with the multitude to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. But they remained alone in far countries, a scattered seed according to the gospel, or sorry, according to God's will. Yet what is denied them as an actual experience, they seize upon more fervently in faith. Thus they exiled disciple, the exiled disciple of the Lord, John, the apocalypsts, apocalyptist, apocalyptist, there we go, celebrates in the loneliest of Patmos, the heavenly worship with his congregations in the spirit on the Lord's day, Revelations 1 verse 10. He sees the seven candlesticks, his congregations, the seven stars, the angels of the congregations, and in the midst and above it all, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, in all the splendor of the resurrection, his strengths and fortifies, he strengthens and fortifies him by his word. This is the heavenly fellowship shared by the exile on the day of the Lord's resurrection. I really liked this paragraph. Yeah, it's a good one. It's uh, pointing to the idea of the visible and invisible church. Mm -hmm. So we have the visible church, which is everyone at your local congregation. And we have the invisible church, which is those who are actually uh, saved, basically. And that composes some of the people that are at your local congregation, perhaps not all of them. But it also includes those who have gone before us and have already passed um, and it includes all of the angels, and it includes, um, perhaps, depending on which theologians you ask, it might include people that don't know it. Mm. I, I have mixed feelings about that personally, but that, that's what Bonhoeffer's talking about, the visible and invisible church, and how John, in his seclusion on Patmos, has a, a full realization of the invisible church and things unseen, and it, it's... A very lovely little little paragraph he's got here. Yeah, and I, I really like how he gets into, you know, not all Christians are are permitted the blessing of being a part of a visible church and the the gracious blessings that lie there within. Um which is kind of sad to think about, honestly. Especially, you know, this is right at the start of this book, right? Yeah. But going back to that especially after reading the whole thing and seeing exactly all what he has to say about the church and community there within. Man, that's kind of sad. Yeah. That, that, put, that gets you down a little bit. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. What do you got? You, you got something you want to you wanna read and uh, talk yeah. about? On page 21... Mm. The paragraph that starts at the top of the page. Yes. Bonhoeffer writes, The mother... (laughs) Words are hard. Yeah. Fun fact, Ryan. I am illiterate. Are you really? No. The measure, which... (laughs) (laughs) You can't keep doing that to me, man. That's not cool. (laughs) I haven't been able to read this entire time. Okay. The measure... I can't say measure. Whatever comes out of my mouth, I'm just going to roll with it. All right. The measure 
with which God bestows the gift of visible community is varied. The Christian in exile is comforted by a brief visit of a Christian brother, a prayer together, and a brother's blessing. Indeed, he is strengthened by a letter written by the hand of a Christian. The greetings in the letters written by Paul's own hand were doubtless tokens of such community. Others are given the gift of common worship on Sundays. Still others have the privilege of living a Christian life in the fellowship of their families. Seminarians before their ordination received the gift of common life with their brethren for a definite period. Among earnest Christians in the church today, there's a growing desire to meet together with other Christians in the rest periods of their work for common life under the word. Communal life is again being recognized by Christians today as the grace that it is, as the extraordinary, the roses and lilies of the Christian life. Mm. So he points out that uh, we have different levels of access to the visible church, and there are people that are dissatisfied with Sunday morning service being their only time where they're encountering other Christians, um, which I think is an observation that nowadays uh, the church has tried to rise to that with like small groups and stuff. Yeah. I, I think that's an attempt to address this problem that Bonhoeffer's pointing out in 1936 or whenever he I wrote believe this. it was 36, yeah. Is it 36? I think I'm so. Not sure. Something like that. He points out this problem where Christians are wanting fellowship with others, Christians, um, during the week. They're wanting that and uh, kind of goes to show how things don't really change very much. You know, it's been almost 100 years and we still feel that way. We, we want that additional contact with the visible church apart from Sunday morning service. Yeah, that's that's reasonable. Um, community really is the lifeblood of the church, and I think that Bonhoeffer pretty clearly lays that out throughout the course of this book, just generally. Without community, the church cannot be the church. Well, like we said in the uh, Does Church Matter episode, mm-hmm. you can't love your neighbor without your neighbor. Yeah, and right? to desire that community more... Seems like a pretty reasonable thing, I think. Um, and sort of like you said, you know, he's addressing this this issue almost a hundred years ago, and here we are today. And like you said, we've got the inception of things like weekly small groups and Bible studies and things like that. That, in many ways, seek to remedy that. Um, Here's a big question: Are they working? Mm. What do you think? I am part of a weekly small group. And uh, what do you think? Does it quench that? Well, I'm, uh, I'm that also itch? just getting ready to help kick off a weekly Bible study on top of that here at the top of the year. Um, yeah, I, I think that it at the very least has a certain level of success in in quenching that desire. Um I'm a very extroverted person. I like seeing people all the time, always anyway, and being with people. Um, But there's just something about doing that with people in the church specifically that really, it, hmm, how do I word this? I don't know. How do I put this? 
it sets the spirit right, if that makes sense. Mm. It it aligns one's heart with the spirit. There is something that is deeply correct about community with the church, with Christians. And the more you can do that, the better. So I'd say, yeah, small group, small group's good. I'm, I'm good with that. Got a, another passage for us? Yeah, let's get to uh, page 28 here. Skipping ahead. Just a little bit. Let's see, where does this begin? Even when sin and misunderstanding burden the communal life, it is not the sinning brother, is not the sinning brother, still a brother, with whom I, too, stand under the word of Christ. Will not his sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God in Jesus Christ? Thus, the very hour of disillusionment with my brother becomes incomparably salutary because it so thoroughly teaches me that neither of us can ever live by our own words and deeds, but only by the one word and deed, which really binds us together, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. When the morning mists of dreams vanish, then dawns the bright day of Christian fellowship. We hate to admit it, as Protestants especially, but... It is our calling and duty as a Christian community to bear one another's sins with each other. Something that most Protestant churches don't do is something like confession, where we have to go into the booth and confess to a priest or presbyterer or whatever it may be. Um, But even more than that, and I think this is a great shortcoming of the church at large, how many of us confess to anyone at all how often do you confess your sins to a brother or sister at church or a fellow christian that you know um and that answer is going to look a little different for for many different people obviously but i'd say that by and large for us again protestants especially most of us would probably say not at all if if at all maybe on rare occasion and uh, I want to be fair to Luther, but I'm also going to say that that's Luther's fault. Because mm. <laughs> how you know, ironic! It's, you know, that's kind of how it panned out. Um, and this is another thing where Bonhoeffer is kind of identifying problems that are problems because Luther made it a problem. <laughs> Right, so he's got he's got a, a section later on where he talks about confession and how yeah. we we have to confess our sins to one another, and uh, because he's a Lutheran, he very much believes in the priesthood of the believer. Yep. Uh, so I am able to forgive your sins, Ryan, and absolve you from them. Yes. And Bonhoeffer says that we can uh, pray to God and ask Him for forgiveness, and we walk away and we forgive ourselves rather than receiving real absolution yes um, and we get real absolution from our brothers and sisters in christ uh, and i wonder about because there are problems with having one dude for the parish that we all go say our our stuff to 
and he becomes the dumping ground for everyone's sins, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of how the Catholics do it. They, there's one guy, he's the priest, and we all go and we put our problems at his feet and say, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. And that's not super great for the priest's mental health. But the priest has, you know, the seal of confession, and he has some training on how to deal with these things, and he has, like, here are some sins that you're going to have people confess to you, and here's how you respond to them. He has some kind of training. And yeah. I, I'm not so sure how well it would work <laughs> if everyone at your local congregation was uh, in one-on-one conversations confessing their sins to each other. I, I think uh, the seal of confession would be broken much more often, and it would quickly devolve into gossip. Yeah. But that's just me being cynical. I don't think that yeah, necessarily um, would happen, but... I do worry. I don't know. I even think, you know, how often do I wrong a fellow brother in Christ and then never talk to them about it and confess that to them? And, oh, I'll confess it to to God all day. And this is something he actually gets into later in the book, which is how, how is it? that we as Christians find it so incredibly easy to admit our sins to God, the sinless, perfect being, yet we can't stand the idea of admitting our sins to another sinful human being who has done things just as terrible as you have. And it ought not be like that. Yeah, but uh, God's not going to go about gossiping. And uh, <laughs> your choir director might, hopefully yeah. not, but I, I think that is part of it. And um, because we don't practice that as Protestants, we don't practice you confessing your sins to me and me confessing my sins to mm-hmm. you, uh, we don't have a culture around what is and is not okay about that kind of thing because it would be easy for me to go and break the seal of confession because I have no concept of the seal of confession. Yeah. Right. And there's not the same kind of uh, potential recourse for a lay person breaking that seal as there might be for a priest. And we don't have the infrastructure set up to handle that. I'm not saying it can't be done and that we shouldn't do that. If you have someone in your life that is religiously mature and that you trust, and that they are uh, spiritually solid, I, in- I encourage you wholeheartedly, go and confess your sins to your brothers. Um, but you do have to be careful who you trust, mm. because you might go and confess a sin to someone, and then they tell people yeah and now that relationship is entirely fractured and you are probably never going to confess to anyone ever again church gossip is a topic entirely unto itself that i'm sure we'll talk about one day because boy howdy has gossip torn churches in half yeah Um, it'll it'll happen it's not good so uh us all confessing uh wantonly which is not what bonhoeffer advises us to do but if we all confessed wantonly to each other, mm-hmm. then uh, that would probably destroy your church congregation overnight, just about. Yeah. I, I think it 
would be most advisable for us who are married to confess our sins to our spouse and look for absolution from them. Mm. Those of us that are married, when we sin, it's often against our spouses. It's true. Um, so maybe think about that. And yeah. your spouse isn't going to rag on you to everybody because they're your spouse. They're your spouse. Or at least I would hope they wouldn't. Yeah. And if they do, well, that's something for them to confess to you yeah. in the future. <laughs> anyway, right. hit, us with, uh, hit us with your next one, William. So I'm going to track us back to page 24. Okay. Hold on. I have to scroll to it here on my computer. Bonhoeffer writes, When God's Son took on flesh, he truly and bodily took on, out of pure grace, our being, our nature, ourselves. This was the eternal counsel of the triune God. Now we are in him. Where he is, there we are too. In the incarnation, on the cross, and in his resurrection. We belong to him because we are in him. That is why the scripture calls us the body of Christ. But if before we could know and wish it, we have been chosen and accepted with the whole church in Jesus Christ, then we also belong to him in eternity with one another. We who live here in fellowship with him will one day be with him in eternal fellowship. He who looks upon his brother and should know that he will be eternally united with him in Jesus Christ. Christian community means community through and in Jesus Christ. On this presupposition rests everything that the scriptures provide in the way of direction and precepts for the communal life of Christians. I think that's really important. Um, Jesus says, whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done unto me also. Mm -hmm. And I think Bonhoeffer's getting at that there. Um, if... You look at your brother or sister in Christ and you hate them. You cannot hate them and love God at the same time. Mm. The words of John the Beloved. For anyone who hates his brother hates God and does not know God and is a liar. That's John's words, not mine. Um, so how do we live in community with one another? Well, we live in community with one another as though our brothers and sisters in Christ are Christ himself. And we treat them as we ought to treat Christ himself. Because whatever you have done for the least of these, you've also done for me. Yeah, uh, and the way that Bonhoeffer talks about this, I think, is indicative of his tradition as well in, in Lutheranism. In that... If you worded that that way to some Baptists or some pseudo-non-denominational Protestants, they would take big issue with it because the way Luther, uh, not Luther, sorry, Bonhoeffer, the way Bonhoeffer talks about this is very literal. We are the body of Christ. We are in Christ. And where Christ is, we also are. Whereas some of the lower ecclesiastical pseudo-non-denominational church groups will say when it calls us the body of Christ and things of that nature, it is purely symbolic. And to think it is anything else would be wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm not saying that to throw any of those groups under the bus. You can no, think whatever you want. But wrong. I think this is, 
this is very indicative of his tradition and how they approach that. Um, Irenaeus of Lyons, in his work Against Heresies, written circa 180, says that what Christ does not assume, he does not heal. Um, so mm. by the, the putting on of flesh that we read about in Holy Scripture, by the incarnation, becoming fully human, and going through all of the fully human things, um, he heals the human experience. And how do I want to put this? The incarnation of Jesus Christ shows us what the human experience could be like. Mm. And uh, we, we are to live close to how Christ lived. You know, we're supposed to be his hands and feet and continue his experience um, as his body. Does that make sense? I'm yeah. Kind of just yeah, that makes sense. Pontificating. Um, yeah. Next section. What you got? Uh, let's turn to page 35. Going to move up ahead here a little bit. Right here is the point where spiritual love begins. This is why human love becomes personal hatred when it encounters genuine spiritual love, which does not desire but serves. Human love makes itself an end in itself. It creates of itself an end, an idol which it worships, to which it must subject, subject everything. It nurses and cultivates an ideal. It loves itself and nothing else in the world. Spiritual love, however, comes from Jesus Christ. It serves him alone. It knows that it has no immediate access to other persons. So that was a, a shorter bit there. Um, in this general section as you can probably pick up on he's talking about human and spiritual love and the differences there within um what do you got to say about that william what do you what do you got to say about human and spiritual love i think uh the paragraph after that if i may just yeah read a section of that i, I want bonhoeffer to speak for himself Jesus Christ stands between the lover and the others he loves. I do not know in advance what love of others means on the basis of the general idea of love that grows out of my human desires. All this may rather be hatred and an insidious kind of selfishness in the eyes of Christ. What love is only Christ tells in his word. Contrary to all my own opinions and convictions, Jesus Christ will tell me what love towards the brethren really is. So, you know, we have a perception of, yeah, I love my buddy over here. Yeah. I love Steve. Great guy. But I love Steve on t the terms of he'll let me borrow his leaf blower. <laughs> and... I love Steve because he'll let me borrow his leaf blower. And he's a cool guy, and sometimes we get drinks. Yeah. But Jesus dictates what loving Steve actually means. And what loving Steve actually means is loving him as though he were myself, loving him as though he were Christ himself. For whatever we have done to the least of these, we have done to Christ also. And that spiritual love that Jesus tells us what it is, 
is much more than just being okay with getting drinks with the guy and hoping he lets me borrow his leaf blower sometimes. Yeah. That's uh, a much bigger ask. And I think Bonhoeffer's pointing to that discrepancy between what we think it means to love our neighbor, which is, yeah, he's a cool guy. I'll get drinks with him sometimes and borrow his leaf blower if he lets me. Between that versus uh, giving them the clothes off your back and the food from your mouth, which is what Jesus calls us to. Yeah. Um, if it's okay, I'm going to jump to page 37 here. Go he ahead. keeps He keeps talking about this, actually. So this next paragraph is directly related to that. Human love lives by uncontrolled and uncontrollable dark desires. Spiritual love lives in the clear light of service offered by the truth. Human love produces human subjugation, dependence, constraint. Spiritual love creates freedom of the brethren under the word. Human love breeds hot house flowers. Spiritual love creates the fruits that grow healthily in accordance with God's goodwill in the rain and storm and sunshine of God's outdoors. The existence of any Christian life together depends on whether it succeeds at the right time in bringing out the ability to distinguish between a human ideal and God's reality, between spiritual and human community. So, is Bonhoeffer a communist? Well, let's talk about common life and community. Is he, is he talking about communism, Ryan? Well, if you listen to our episode about his life, you'd know that he's probably adamantly anti-communism. Also, he's very clear that there's a difference between the spiritual community mm -hmm. and human community, right? Yep. There's a difference between spiritual love and human love. So if you're uh, poking around looking for information on Bonhoeffer, reading scholarly articles about him or what have you, you're going to come across someone that says that he's like a, some sort of communist or whatever, and those people are dumb and wrong because he's very much not that. Because communism is human community motivated by false desires and... Uh, all that stuff that he says. Yeah. Constraint, uh, dependence, subjugation, etc. Whereas what he's talking about is a spiritual community that is in Christ and pursues Christ. It's something else entirely. Yeah, it's a different kind of thing. One is like a greenhouse where you've got tropical plants and the other is the actual outdoors that are tropical where yeah. plants are able to really thrive. Yeah. Now, that was the last reference I had that was in Chapter 1. Do you have any other any other references from Chapter 1 you want to point out before we close out that chapter? Mm -mm -mm. I have a brief quote from page 39. Okay. Right at the end. Yeah. There is probably no Christian to whom God has not given the uplifting experience of genuine Christian community, at least once in his life. But it is this world such ex but in this world such experiences can no more can be no more than a gracious extra beyond the daily bread of Christian community life. We have no claim upon such experiences, and we do not live with other Christians for the sake of acquiring them. It is not the experience of Christian brotherhood solid and certain faith and brotherhood that holds us together that God has acted and wants us to act upon us and wants to act upon us all 
This we see in faith as God's greatest gift. This makes us happy and glad, but it also makes us ready to forgo all such experiences when God at times does not grant them. We are bound together by faith, not by experience. So he's got this caveat towards the end of chapter one where he's like, hey, hopefully all of us Christians have at some time or another known that true uh, spiritual love from our Christian brothers and sisters. And that's not what this is about. It's not about have I scratch your back, you scratch mine, and we're all honky-dory and chill together. It's about something more than that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that's a, a nice thing to keep in mind that it, because it would be easy to read this, get an idea of what Christian community is supposed to look like, try to live it out, and then you don't get the experience of it actually panning out and feeling disillusioned. But it's not the experience that holds us together. It's our faith that we could do this, mm. you know? Yeah. So that was a few snippets just from chapter one there. Um, I had a little note about chapter one there to close that out, um, which which I'll, I'll just go ahead and read, which is that uh, chapter one there, which is, again, titled Community, I feel gives us not only a pretty clear look at how such a thing ought to be done, but I think that he pretty, pretty clearly lays out how it has to be done. Because if a community is not rooted in spiritual love and in faith, that community cannot thrive for the purposes of Christ. They, it, it can't. Does that, that feel fair to you? Like a fair assessment of what he was getting at? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. So that is snippets from chapter one. There are five chapters in this book. Uh, let's, how are we doing how, on time? Probably like 40 minutes. 51. Jeez. Okay. Holy uh, cow. Uh, you know, at the, before we were started recording, I told William, I'm like, you know, I feel like I've got way too many notes for just one episode. We may have to do a two-parter. Well, let's do a five-parter, bro. We, we almost, yeah, we are certainly going to have to do at least a two-parter. So, so you want to wrap this up and say probably some more stuff about chapter one and just i've got so many more notes i want to talk about and i'd rather treat it well than yeah and through dude if this is going to take this long for a book this short wait until we get to the cost of discipleship which is like three times as long welcome to the uh dietrich bonhoeffer (laughs) podcast where we talk about dietrich bonhoeffer and nothing else or, dude, man, when we get around to some, like, N.T. Wright stuff, I'm sure, eventually, oh, we're going to be here a while. So there's uh, chapter one of and Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That was only, like, what, six or seven paragraphs out of it, and yeah. just that first chapter is, like, almost almost 40 15. pages. Is it that long? Uh, Well, that's counting the author introduction, which okay. is, like, 12 pages long, though, so it's closer yes. to, like, 30-ish pages. Yeah, it's a it's a good little read. You can find a PDF on it quite easily if you Google co- uh, "living life together." Life together. Thank you. If you Google "life together," Dietrich Bonhoeffer PDF, it will come up. Probably be the first result that you see. And so, if you want to you know. buy it, it's widely available at any used bookstore that sells Christian books, or on Amazon, or. But don't don't give yeah. Bezo your money. Jeff, yeah, Jeff, don't give Jeff money. Jeff sucks. Oh, do you not like bald people, William? 
You got a problem with bald people? Yes, it's the baldness. That, <laughs> that's my problem. With I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah. Now we can move on. Um, the other things. Yeah, so I don't know if we're just going to do a two-parter and kind of blow through those next ones or if we're really going to do a five-parter for this book, but... We'll, I, we'll, we'll I talk do, about it later. I do want yeah. to do it justice because I would hate to just kind of blow through a lot of this and not really get a chance to discuss what he's yeah. talking so about. So in, there in chapter one, he's really laying the groundwork for what Christian community ought to be, and it ought to be the experience of us loving one another in with spiritual love rather than human love, and... Uh, just like doing life together, bro. Yeah. But uh, Bonhoeffer's doing life together, bro, is not uh, – how do I want to put this? It's not what the associate pastor of that non-denominational church you used to go to meant when he said doing life together, bro. Because your associate pastor at the non-denominational church you used to go to meant we're, like, going to hang out and, like, go golfing and sometimes get donuts. And if we talk about Jesus, it's like, cool, bro. Bonhoeffer is going to go on to lay down um, something like the rules that monasteries used to have, and the monasteries that are still around still do have, about how you should pray, about when you should pray, about what parts of the Bible you should read, when you should read them, uh, when you should gather together as a big community, when you should gather together as a family unit. He lays down very concrete things that we ought to do to live that spiritual life in community together. And he does all this in about 110-ish pages. Yeah, it it's, is very good. I'm shocked how much he managed to say in so little words, to be honest. Yeah, he, he, he got a lot in here. He does a lot with very little. And um, I think that is just a uh, an indication of how well written he is. He's, yeah. He is a talent, was, was a talented author. Rest yeah. in peace. Uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Amen, amen. And um, he was one of those. So we're we going to cut that off there. Um, we You said you had return uh, to announcements. This. Yeah, so we have just a couple of quick things to touch on before we close out this episode. So, William, do you know what this episode technically is? Uh, episode, like, 20? Episode 20. No, it's the New Year's. Yeah. It's the New Year episode. It is actually episode 20. Is Believe it, it or not, 20? This is exactly episode 20, but hey, it is also technically our New Year's episode, as this is the last episode going up in 2023, which is the year we started this podcast in. So, obviously, Hooray. we started it partway through the year so we're not a yeah. full year into this yet but it is our first fiscal new, quote unquote year new calendar for the year. podcast do you think we can write this off our taxes i genuinely wonder <laughs> because we have to pay money to do this i don't know if you guys realize this but everyone that you listen to on spotify has to pay money to upload material to Spotify. Yeah, so YouTube, so, you can upload to for free. But not Spotify. But not Spotify or Apple Podcast or you know, Samsung Podcast, Podcast Index. You want to get it up on that stuff, you've got to go through RSS feed, which is fun. Um, I think there are also other like websites Ugh. you can use, but they all cost money. Yeah, so, um, we so we're, pay. we're paying to get this stuff out here. We are at a 
financial loss on this show right now. For now, but in the future, perhaps we'll be brought to you by BetterHelp. Um, or Alpha Manscaped. Brain. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I only am willing to advertise products that I use. Um, oh, okay. Anyway. Um, yeah, so... Seeing as this is our final episode for the calendar year of 2023, I thought it would be good to just talk moving into the next year for the podcast and what that will look like. Um, Vision cast. Yeah, some ideas that I had, uh, some stuff we've got on the horizons that are pretty exciting, and just uh, get that out there moving into the new year. So um, something that I think would be fun, and I'm not sure if we're going to do this just yet. I need to talk to Jesse, our sound engineer our audio engineer, sorry, um, is I think it'd be fun to do a little bonus episode for the end of the year where we put together a sort of like... Uh, like bloopers and highlights? Yeah, bloopers and highlights, best moments episode where it's just some of our audio clips of either things that are particularly chin-scratching and thought-provoking or some of the funnier things we may have said that made you giggle or some of the bloopers that got cut out of these episodes for one reason or another. Fun fact, I actually have a terrible stutter, and Ryan cusses like a sailor, but Jesse removes all of that. (laughs) So in the blooper, it'll just be Ryan constantly cussing and me going, Bible. I don't know about that. Uh, that (laughs) Neither of those things are true. Yeah, but but, uh, there are some funny bloopers out there we've had to cut out um, that... I think it would be fun to just throw into like a little highlights real episode for the end of the year. So we'll see if that happens. Um, something on the horizons that's pretty fun is we have a couple of people who I won't name until we are more set in stone on this. But we have a couple of people We're working on it who are interested and have agreed to guest on the show uh, sometime after the new year. And um, some of them know more stuff than we do, because as we have mentioned before, but you might have forgotten, or you this might be your first episode you're listening to, I am a truck driver, and Ryan is a merchant of death. Uh, yes. So... As my grandfather used to put it, I'm a killer for hire. Yeah, he's an exterminator. Uh, uh, now, William is three quarters of the way through a theology and biblical studies program and intends to finish soon, hopefully, but I'm not active. You're not there yet. Um, but we've got a couple of people who are interested in coming on the show who are actually educated and like have degrees and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that is exciting and on the horizon. Yeah. So trying to get some others lined up. Yep. Um, I want to wait until we get, because one of our the guests that we're going to have, we're going to get on via like Zoom or some such yep. thing. And I kind of want to wait to see how that goes yeah. before I start lining up a whole bunch of people to join us via Zoom if it does not yeah. go now, smoothly. I know? will actually name call one of our prospective guests, and that's Jesse, our audio engineer. And I'm calling that out specifically so that now he really has to. Uh, but he did agree to come on to my questions jesse i have (laughs) questions for you but jesse did agree to come on um he is a worship director uh that's that's his like actual full-time gig but he agreed to do this for us because he's very kind and he has a master's degree he does have a master's degree so he's more educated than us smart 
Um, so he agreed to come on, and now that I've put that out there, he has to. So exactly. uh, let's do it, Jesse. What, but what other things do we have uh, coming down the pike? Uh, well, I mentioned this in the last episode. I think it'd be fun to get a website going, like a proper website for a show where we can post, uh, you know, resources and cite our sources on stuff we talk about and, you know, maybe get some community posts up there, do Q&As, stuff like that. Uh, Could be fun. Yeah, we've got a really small following. If you're listening to this, you probably know that already. Uh, so but I can't can say we'll help. get much traffic. You can help that by liking, commenting, and subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and sharing this with someone that might like it. And then we can have more people who are listening to us talk about stuff that we're unqualified to talk about. It'll yeah. be great. Uh, if we are blessed enough... Maybe we'll start getting some sponsorships and stuff like that next year and uh, maybe actually make a little bit of our, our lost money back on this show, which would be good uh, for our for our wallets, of course. But that's... Start a Patreon. Yeah, if we had a larger following, I, I'd probably say that'd be realistic. Start a Patreon and then the, what, would they get like shirtless pics of us or <laughs> feet pictures <laughs> feet pics the, the $15 tier is pictures of our feet no but uh you know something that uh for those of you who are familiar with theology in the raw by Preston Sprinkle Dr. Preston Sprinkle uh which this show Don't was tell them about that yeah well he knows what he's talking about <laughs> they're all going to go listen to him yeah go listen to it uh this show was in at least some part actually inspired by that show and that podcast um he has a patreon set up i know where he does like patreon specific episodes and he does yeah, like he, viewer interaction meets like via Q&As zoom and stuff, but yeah he's his podcast is much bigger 1000 x yeah. ours so if we ever get to that point, I think something like that could be a lot of fun, but yeah. we've got a long way to go to get there. So Yeah, uh, but Any... in the meanwhile, just share this with people. Maybe not this part. Or Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving into the next year here, you got any particular uh, visions or goals for the show you want to put out there? or No. Oh, okay. Uh, thy will be done. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, just... Be sure that if you have not left a five-star review on Spotify to do that, because if you leave a five-star review, it is more likely that other people will be suggested to listen to us. It's the same thing with uh, YouTube. With YouTube. If, if you, The more subscribers and likes we get in our videos, the more likely the algorithm is to suggest us to new viewers. Right, and we want new viewers to find us, because despite the fact that we are... Uh, Big, dumb, and only know so much. <laughs> I am fairly proud of some of the material we've produced. I think that we do a pretty good job for what we are. I, I think our sound quality is pretty doggone good. Thanks for that, Jesse. And I think that we uh, could be helpful to people if they were to listen to us. So be sure to interact with our stuff because the more you do that, the better off we will be down the line. And surely you know somebody that could benefit to listening to to some of our episodes. So, you know, share us with the people in your life that you think might be interested. And we will appreciate that greatly and be forever in your debt. Yeah, so that's really all we've got. Um, Y'all have a happy new year. 
We'll be back in 2024. Everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll Uh, be back in 2024 with more episodes and more things to come. Uh, But uh, here's an announcement for you. hmm? Go ahead and get your tinfoil hats out because our next episode is going to be about aliens. That's right. The first episode of 2024. Aliens. And I'm so, excited for that. So Get your tinfoil hat and tune in, and it'll be a good time. Yeah, so thanks, everybody, for tuning in uh, and the people who have been recurring listeners and supporters since we started this show. This calendar year, I feel, has been a, a promising start to our future, and yeah. I'm excited to see where things go. And, Cheers. Uh, and, you know, honestly, you don't even really have to listen to us. If you just turn the show on and walk away, <laughs> and you, counts you can mute it. That counts as a view, and that'll help us in the algorithm. So do that. Yeah, so I think that's enough pandering and pushing for like buttons. Um, Thank you so much for listening, if you still are. Have a great new year. And I I can't imagine anyone is still listening at this point. Probably not. You could say anything. (laughs) Don't. Beans on toast was a mistake. Was a mistake. Okay, you heard it here first. Ryan is racist towards the British. (laughs) All right, uh, thanks. See you later.